All right, so we are in the last week of Pride Month. Last week of Pride Month. All right. Yeah, we made it through. It was a long, though victorious road at the end, who would have thought? But, so, the first three weeks we went through a couple things. We had talked about uh, looking at the Pride movement through Christian eyes. You know, we went through various aspects of why it's wrong. We talked about uh, the LGBT movement and its effect on marriage, uh, if it's even a valid marriage, uh, and the Christian stance on what marriage is. Those are all things that we talked about. And last week... We talked about pride as a general concept, as the sin that it is, and we talked about also the sinful movement of the pride movement. So, we're closing out with this this week, but we're, why, why should we care about any of this? Uh, I've got plenty of things to worry about in life, you guys do too, uh, whether it be finances or health or whatever else is going on. We all have stuff on our minds. If we're born again, we might think, well, you know, we don't have a responsibility for what other people are doing. Except for maybe your immediate family where you might be talking with them, your close friends. So just let the world be. Let people be. So I'd like to, uh, you don't have to follow along if you don't want to, but we're going to be in Luke 12, 35 through 48. It's on page seven, seven, it starts on page 775 in the Pew Bible if you want to. If not, I'll read it anyways. So. Is that this one? No, it's a different one on that one. It's just uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, 35 through 48. All right, so starting at, uh, at verse 35 here. We'll kind of read through this, and, and it'll make sense in the end here. It says, Be prepared and keep your lamps lit. You are also to be like people who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door for him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will prepare himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he will come up and serve them, whether he comes on in the second watch or even the third and finds them so. Blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not think he will. So, Jesus is talking here of alertness, awareness, and he's using a parable for it, as he often did. And I want you to notice why the people are blessed, why the slaves are blessed in this situation. It is because they are alert. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more because that might seem maybe a little confusing at first. Well, guess what? Peter was confused too a little. So in 41, 
through 43, here's where Peter comes in. Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing so when he comes. So Peter's wondering, is he talking about somebody else? He can't be talking about us. We follow you already. And we know that Christ is talking about everyone. And he specifically mentions that slave again at the end, who is having that alertness and that awareness of Christ, of the Master. In 44 through 46, and I know I'm running through this, but this will all make sense. Uh, Truly I say to you, that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will take a long time to come, and he begins to beat the other slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, then the master of that slave will, will come on a day that he does not expect, and at an hour that he does not know. And he will cut him in two and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So what we have here is the thought of I don't know when the master's coming. I've got plenty of time. And what happens? We begin to sin. That's essentially what's happening here. The slave begins to sin because he thinks he's got a lot of time to wait. And he'll have a lot of time to fix his mistakes. So the question would be, does a slave who has this mindset, is he really even a slave to the master? Does he have an allegiance to that master? He talks about it a little bit more here in 47 through 48. He says that that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will will receive many blows. But the one who did not know it and committed acts deserving of a beating will receive only a few blows. Now the point here is not that, uh, oh, you know, you'll just get a few less if you didn't know. It's not a, it's not a plead for ignorance. But think of it this way. Take my kids, for example. We'll use them because they're little angels. Um, You know, I come home one day, and one of the children has socked the other one in the eye. And for whatever reason, me being uh, the excellent father, I never told them to not hit their siblings, okay? What it's saying is there is that there's a little bit less punishment because they didn't know, but there is still punishment, But it also emphasizes the fact that in the other situation, I have told them over and over, do not hit your brother. Do not punch your brother in the eye. I come home and there's a fresh black eye. That child is in much more trouble. Why? Why does the knowledge make a difference? Well, we get to that at the end here, where it says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. So God has given these slaves in this situation, and us, is giving us something that requires more. In the same way that if I gave my children those rules, that they would be required of a different degree of behavior. God gives us gifts. He placed calls on our life. 
And if a person doesn't bear fruit, God can take those gifts away if He wants. They're His gifts. And sometimes an indifference towards God can develop if a person really just ignores those gifts. So what what have you, what have we been blessed with? What have we been entrusted with? What have we been given from God? Well, for one thing, I can tell you that if we are born again, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gives a variety of gifts. In the book of Romans, it talks of this a little bit, and I was going to, I'll just let Scripture explain this part a little bit better than I would. So, verse 12, I'm sorry, uh, 12, 6 through 8, in Romans 12, it says, However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy, prophecy, then in proportion to one's faith. If service, in the act of serving, or the one who teaches, in the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts or communicates would be in the work of exhortation. The one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, and the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So God is telling us you have these gifts, you need to use them. Whatever your gift is, not everyone's gift is the same. We're not all the same people. We're not all gifted with the same things. It's whatever God has deemed necessary for us in our walk. If you don't know, try them all. Right. <laughs> That's the best advice I ever right. got say. You know, you're so concerned about what you're supposed to do, and then try them all and see where you line them. You can have more than one gift to so what else have we been given? What else have we been entrusted with by the Lord? We have been given grace. We have been given the Holy Spirit, as we had said. But we have also been given the Word of God. Now, though we have been given that, that applies for us, but even people who do not believe, they are not with excuse. God's creation proclaims Him, so no one is without excuse. But for us, in relation to the belief in God and the Holy Spirit, these are the things that He has given us because of our belief, because of how much He loves us. So in that parable that we talked about, these are people who know the Master. These are people who are serving the Master. And at some point have decided not to serve Him as well. So we've talked about this many times, but we called it something different. We talked about belief that versus belief in. See, even though I didn't tell Him not to do that ever, He's not supposed to do that. He did it my way, I was going to try to catch So that belief, that versus belief in. Because you can believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, but if you don't believe in Him, it's not the same. If you haven't put your faith in Him, it's not the same. That's what we've talked about before when we mentioned this. Because that belief in, there is much demanded. There is much more asked. Not for your salvation, but because of your salvation. Because you are saved, that is why these things are things that you should be doing. 
But Christians, you have been given your grace, you've been given the Holy Spirit, and we have been given that Word of God. And that is to not for our benefit, though it does benefit us, but it is to further God's kingdom and to proclaim His glory. Everything is for God's glory. Now I want to go to Matthew for a second, and I don't have the page number for that one, but it's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You guys know why they used salt so much in the, in the ancient world, which we still use it now, but they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have things like that to store. Salt was a very, and is a very good preservative. So they would use salt, and that's why the salt is being used here. And it does also, what else? It enhances flavor. You know, if we, if we don't put salt in our food, it tends to be a little bland. So God is saying that the Christian, the believer, is the preservative for society and enhances society through the beliefs in God, through the aspects of God that we learn, through the fruit that we produce. We're going to come back to that in a second here, but there's a little bit more left in here. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. We are the light of the world. It's not a boasting point. It's what God says. And if we are the light of the world... You think about it. It's very simple. You, you black out a, a room. You turn on a light. It's impossible not to see. Are there going to be some people with their eyes closed? Yes, but that is not our fault. Some people are closed to it. That's between them and God. But you cannot not shine that light. That's what God is saying here. Notice in there He said, you must shine before people in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Light and dark don't mix. There's a separation. That's why there's shadows. It's the same thing. We can't hide it because it's out there visible anyways. And this is why to everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask for more. If you are the salt and light, Christ is demanding that you be the salt and light, not pretend that you're something else to try to fit in, to try to keep from people persecuting you. That is is Christ's command here. And not everyone is going to like the salt and light. You know, we put up uh, an advertisement, an announcement for uh, the event tonight, and immediately, immediately it was attacked, and immediately people were calling it hate speech. We're saying you can take your religion and you can shove it. That's the kind of things that were being said to us right off the bat. So not everyone's going to like it, but that doesn't matter. We still have to be the salt and light because of all that we have been given. 
We've been given so much from God, it is innumerable. We've been given that grace that we didn't merit, that we still don't merit. We've been given that Holy Spirit, not as in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would just reside above the people, but we have been given the Holy Spirit that resides internally to inspire us, to comfort us, to guide us, and to speak for us. And we have been given the Word of God in the translations that we've been given to guide us and to check us. Because when we have a revelation, we have to make sure that it is in line with God. And that Word of God is so valuable. If you ever get a chance, look into the history of how the Bible has come down through the centuries, how accurate it has come down through the centuries from different areas of the Middle East, not just from one spot. There's no way you could ever produce a telephone game, even in written form, that would ever be as accurate as what has happened. Um, Not to get off on a tangent on that, but I mean, there's of the ancient world, we have 2.5 million documents of just pages of just the old, uh, the New Testament. That's just the new. So most ancient documents from that time, you have one or two. One or two. And we've got 5,600 copies of the New Testament. Yeah. I want to add something to the scripture talking about like the light deal and the darkness. Uh, it's like you don't walk into this room and say, can somebody turn up the darkness? You know, people walk into a dark room and say, somebody turn on the light. You know, and if you are not there as a light to that person who is in darkness, then you're just as guilty as that person who is in darkness because you're not showing that light. Whether or not they'll accept or reject that that light that you bring forth. But in Peter, I think 315, Peter, he says, you know, you know, uh, when, when people come to you asking the hope that is in you, you'd be quick to answer. You know, but if they're not, they're not going to come to you if you're not living a light example of Christ-centeredness. And, you know, you don't have to stand with a megaphone and start preaching the gospel to anybody. You know, I'm not a big fan of those types who, you know, preach condemnation, but you let your life so shine before men. You know, they, they call it that, uh, nor does anyone put a light in a lamp underneath a basket. I call that basket head of Christianity. You know, I used to be that way as well, but I was also living in hell till I saved. You know, I was believing myself to hell for 30 years, but basket head of Christianity is just like, I'm a Christian, but it's just for me. I'm putting this basket over my head. I ain't going to let my light shine. It's just for me and only me. When God's saying, here, clearly, take it off. Let people see it. Mm-hmm. Where they, they will, they'll, whether they like it or not, you know, let, them, you let it shine forth. Yeah. You know, yeah. plant seeds. Like I said last night, I'm not offended at the fact that, I, I mean, I quote some scripture. Next thing you know, they're back to swearing. I don't care. But, I mean, how are you going to reach those people if you're not even putting that forth? Right. If you've got a basket on your Yeah, you put a basket on here. I can just sit there quietly and just let them complain about it and try and figure out something. When I know the Word of God clearly states what it just said. And it just happened to be the fact that we just read with the kids, like, an hour earlier. Right. Like, if that's not a divine setting for that for that moment last night, maybe last night was more or less, it was less for the kids and more for the guys I was working with. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it at the time with the kids because I'm just trying to pour in truth to those kids because like I was telling the kids last night, ignorance is not bliss in Christianity. Mm-mm. You cannot say you did not know. No. Because God has spoken and he never changes his mind. And he knows all. He knows everything. Like he spoke, he has finalized, he is not going to change his mind. <coughs> and so that's why I was trying to get to the kids, not knowing that later on I'd be talking to some guys who are just dropping F bombs by it. Yeah, it doesn't offend me, man. You know. 
Amen. So he's hitting on a good point, though, because the Word, he was in the Word to get those things, that God used the Word to show him those things. That's why I, I just implore people that I understand a lot of people don't read the Bible. A lot of people that go to church don't read the Bible. If you just put, just put 15 minutes a week to start with, just 15 minutes. Most people spend more time watching TV than that. 15 minutes, and you will see changes. It will help you in your walk with Christ. The Word is so valuable. And Scripture says, why? Because it's valuable for doctrine. So what is doctrine? Doctrine is what you believe. It educates you on what you believe. The Spirit shows you what is true in that. It's good for reproof and correction. And it's for instructions in righteousness. Are you going to become righteous on your own through the Word? No. You get your righteousness through Christ, but that righteousness that you're looking at in the Word, that is the Spirit using that to help you in your sanctification to become more Christ-like. But you have to be in it for that to happen. You have to be in it. I find it easier since I've been saved reading the Word. Like, like I've got highlighters for days on this deal, but I think just reading it for me, I don't get anything out of it. Like, I have to break it down. Like, I've got a different color for every different meaning. You know, like, just in the New Testament, like, pink is like awesome fire of God. Yellow is good. And then, like, the blue highlight is God's will. And then the green highlighter is God's love. So I can break down a chapter and I can see where God's will is at for me. I can highlight it. You know, and I'm just, it's not about just reading through and you say you read it. You know, it's about. Mm-hmm. You have to understand it. And making it and trying to, try to understand that. You know? And I think that's the problem with a lot of people not reading it is they don't understand. And you have to go through it slowly. If you have questions, you have to ask, you have to pray about them. But this, but the thing is, is if you're not in that Bible, if you're not in that Bible looking for that wisdom, where are you going to get it from? If you don't get it from there, you're going to get it from the world. You're going to get it from the world, and the world is going to use their knowledge and their wisdom, and they're going to try to justify with their emotions and with their subjective reasoning things that are not of God. They're going to try to argue for you for the, uh, the acceptance of things like abortion, homosexuality, pedophilia, adultery, drunkenness. Go down the list. Sins. They're going to try to say that unbelief is okay. It's the biggest sin of all, rejecting Jesus Christ. And they will tell you that that is okay because you have not been in the Word enough to defend yourself, even internally. So you've been given, I've been given, everyone has been given this information, this spiritual awareness and awakening, this responsibility. And because of that, God is demanding that we be the world's salt and light. That we have to counter the world with the flavor of God, with that light of God, so that we can tell people who God is, what His love is, His justice, and His mercy. It's not to earn brownie points with God. You're not going to earn a brownie point with God. But it's because God has loved you so much that He has shown these things to you when you needed them. And that upon your faith in the Gospel, that He gifted you salvation. 
So you have to stand for truth. You have to live truth. You have to proclaim truth, not just in Pride Month, but all year long. Because every day in the world is a Pride Month. There's something that the world is pushing sin-wise. You can't be afraid to, to, be the, to hold the standard. You're not going to do it perfectly. Nobody is. But you're going to walk in the Lord with this wisdom, with this Word, as, the, as God sanctifies you. And you're going to be justified by the Spirit because you're enduring to the end and you're proclaiming the good news and the truth. The truth is so important. John 4, 23-24 says, But a time is coming, even now has arrived, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So because we love God, because we love others, we have to give that truth and love. We can't use it as a sword to cut people down. But it's unloving to not tell people the truth that will set them free and save them. It's unloving to not tell them that. Pride Month is all, all, all month long, but it's a huge blot on society even if it's just one month. All sin that's endorsed by society is a blot on society. Sin does not cause a nation to prosper. But what pride really just is, is a symptom. It's a symptom of the state of our society. It's a symptom of the need for the church to not hide in their homes and in their churches. Pride is... Is the world calling out for that salt and light that we have to be. So that's why we have to give that proclamation of who the Son of God is and what He has done for us and what He can do for others when they believe on Him and are saved by Him. So that is the end of our trek through Pride Month. Um, I hope June doesn't come back anytime soon. <laughs>